Welcome to Consumer Pod Index. I'm your host, Andy Grabia. On today's episode, I talked to Associate Professor Joel Gaiman about Frack Focus, a non-regulatory website purporting to inform North Americans about the environmental and health risks associated with hydraulic fracturing, also known as fracking. We discussed the ways in which information provided on Frack Focus is mostly unhelpful to everyday citizens, and the role that self-regulation plays in business, and whether or not such intermediaries have a true public benefit. I hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Consumer Pod Index. My name is uh, Andy Gravia. Uh, with us today is Joel Gaiman, uh, Winspear Associate Professor of Business, Associate Professor of Strategic Management and Organization, and Associate Director of the Canadian Centre for Corporate so- Social Responsibility here at the University of Alberta. Uh, Joel has a new paper out looking at fracking, uh, a hot topic here in Alberta, but also throughout North America. Uh, not only because of the newness of the practice, but the unknowns around the environmental consequences of such activity. Uh, in fact, if you are from Alberta, you'll know that the Alberta Energy Regulator shut down a fracking well in March because it actually caused an earthquake in central Alberta, uh, which is, if you know Alberta, is very rare. We don't have a lot of seismic activity here. So just wanted to uh, give some background to that and uh, welcome you today, Joel. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Andy. It's great to be here. Uh, perfect. So before we get into the scope and findings of your paper, uh, let's just get really basic. Can you tell us what fracking is? Sure. Fracking is a technology that's been used by the oil and gas industry for more than half a century now. So it dates back to the 1950s. Um, And it's a set of technologies that's used to produce oil and gas. The reason we're talking about it today, however, is because it's begun to be used in a new way to get to these unconventional shale formations, as they're called. And they're doing it on much larger scales than they used to, uh, to do. Perfect. And so it's still mostly in the United States, right? There's not as much as here as there is going on sort of in the U.S., is that correct? Certainly in terms of the number of wells. Yeah. Uh, in the United States, it's in the hundreds of thousands. Wow. Uh, here in the western uh, Canada region, it's primarily in B.C. and Alberta. And we still have, uh, you know, sort of uh, in the tens of thousands of wells. Okay. And so what are some of the environmental concerns related to fracking? Yeah, well, um, it, it depends. You know, I think this is one of those uh, issues where reasonable people can disagree about just how serious some of the concerns are. But uh, concerns that have come up have to do with the, uh, the chemicals that are used and whether or not those are able to migrate into groundwater drinking supplies. Okay. Uh, there's also issues around what's called the flowback or the produced water. So uh, what goes down must come back. Okay. And so then we have a, uh, an issue around disposal and treatment and handling of all of that uh, flowback. And so one of the things that I found interesting in your paper, and this is a little bit of a side note, but in the U.S. there's no environmental relation, regulation of oil and gas industry. That's correct? Well, yes and no. I mean, okay. so here, here in Canada and in the United States, uh, the predominant form of regulation is at either the province level or the state level. Got it. And so that's a duty that's been delegated to the states and provinces. Okay. Um, you know, in certain situations in the United States, so for example, if you were on um, federally owned lands, then there would be federal regulations in the U.S. that would apply. Okay. But by and large, uh, the state is the predominant regulator of these activities. Okay. So... Just to sum it all up, we have a new way of getting oil and gas out of the ground, some concerns back and forth uh, about what it might be doing to the environment, and then different levels of regulation. So this kind of gets us into your paper. Can you tell us some more about it? Yeah, so this this paper is trying to understand uh, how, as this uh, activity has emerged and how some of these concerns have come about, um, you know, what's been happening on the regulatory front. And uh, if anything, and yeah. how does that affect you know the, the public's access to information and understanding? Um, and so that's really what we started to look at here is how 
over the years, one of the things that happened starting in the United States was the industry, uh, in response to some of these concerns, started a voluntary initiative. Okay. Uh, and they called that initiative Frack Focus. And okay. it has a website, uh, frackfocus.org. And the idea was that as a, an operator of an oil and gas well, you could voluntarily decide to disclose the chemical recipe that you were using in your well. Okay. And, and so that was the sort of first uh, starting point for us. Uh, okay, and so I know you talk a lot about sort of the RIT framework in your paper, and you just did it. Can you explain what that is and, I guess, why it's important for someone like me? Yeah, so this is a conceptual framework that some uh, scholars who study uh, governance and public policy kinds of issues have come up with. And so the RIT framework is kind of like a triangle, uh, if you want to picture it that way. The R stands for the regulator. Um, the I stands for an intermediary. And the T stands for a target. Um, and so the regulator would be, for example, the oil and gas regulator in a state, and the target of the regulation might be the oil and gas operating company that's actually drilling the well. And the intermediary in our particular case is this uh, new entity that's come along called Frack Focus that is somehow trying to sit between the regulator and the target, or at least that's the way we've conceptualized it in our paper, and uh, is, is somehow doing some of the burdens that you might have normally thought the regulator would do, okay. and is somehow doing some of the transactions with the target that you might have normally expected to be a, a direct relation as well. Okay, and so how widespread is frack focus? Who's using this? Yeah, so uh, what's happened over the past uh, seven or eight years in the United States is that um, essentially it went from a voluntary program to one that became increasingly required in a number of uh, states. Uh, and then what also happened is uh, British Columbia adopted it as a, regular, uh, a required practice, and Alberta did the same thing. Uh, so we have a similar system here in Canada. And so um, you know, now what we have is uh, you know, the, the, the need to report these wells on a required basis. So instead of, so I guess, instead of being an intermedi intermediary, what you're saying is they've kind of become a de facto regulator almost in sense that people feel like they, it's, it's kind of, yeah, sorry, yeah, go Yeah, so that's exactly, you're, you're right on the, the issue, Andy. That's what we've been looking at is to what extent are they, uh, do, do, you know, they present themselves in a way that the public might actually think they are a regulator when, right. they're, when they're not they're in not. a statutory sort of way. Um, and to what extent is the information that they're providing as good as what we would hope or want uh, from a regulator who would be performing this role? Okay, and yeah. so how good a job are they doing in terms of providing medium, meaningful information to the public? Yeah, so one of the criticisms of Frack Focus, and we're not the only ones to make this criticism, is that uh, the information is available on a well-by-well -well basis. So if you were a concerned member of the public, you could go in, you could look up uh, well number 123 that's yeah. maybe in your backyard, and you could see what's happening there. But if you wanted to see at, an e at, an, at a glance all of the impacts of all of the wells, let's say, surrounding your community, yeah. uh, there's no way to do that within the frack focus framework. Uh, and even until more recently, you couldn't have even downloaded that data to build your own uh, sort of understanding of that. So that's one of the, the criticisms is that um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily presented in a way that's helpful to citizens that have these questions. Okay, and then so how, and then if I do get that information, is it easy to comprehend? Is it something that a layperson will look at and say, oh, I know what that means? Probably not. I mean, okay. my, my guess is that uh, a lot of the information would not be that meaningful to you. So, for instance, you might know that uh, we've used uh, this very long chemical name that you can't pronounce. Right. And, we've and that has a concentration of a certain percentage in our fluid mix. Uh, but you wouldn't know whether that's a lot or a little. Is that harmful or not? Uh, so a lot of these kinds of questions about... 
you know, what does that mean for me and, yeah. and my family or uh, things I might care about is, is uh, really several levels of detail down. Okay. That. Yeah. And then I guess the other thing would be timeliness. So you, if something's happening with a well as a public citizen, I want to know when and how, if it's happened directly, how, how timely are they in terms of getting that information up on the website? Yes, yeah, so that's, that's another area where we'd love to see more uh, research being done. I mean, uh, what we can see is that there's, there's variability in uh, how quickly, you know, the information is, uh, goes from, you know, we, we actually did this treatment on the well to it's been reported out there, and there's no actual uh, regulatory teeth uh, around, you know, just w whether you do, in fact, report on a timely basis and how timely that should be. Uh, even though the regulators all, in principle, have some guidelines around this. Okay, and so uh, backing up just a little bit here, um, there you said there are four Canadian provinces that are sort of tied into frac focus. Mm -hmm. How well are they sort of doing in terms of uh, frac focus is the only place where people can get information or they can get it from both? Like in Alberta, how does it work? How can citizens get this information? Is there a regulatory place and frac focus or just yeah. one? Or? Yeah, so it varies. So here in Alberta, uh, which I, I am pretty familiar with, uh, so you could go to fracfocus.ca. Right. You could navigate to the section about Alberta and you could look at all the wells that are reported there. Yeah. Uh, you could also go to the Alberta Energy Regulator website and one time per year, typically in February, they release all of the data as a spreadsheet for the prior year. So, okay. for example, the 2018 data became available in February of this year, yeah. and the 2019 data will become available in February of 2020. Oh. Uh, British Columbia, um, you, you likewise can get the data both through Frac Focus or by going to what's known as the British Columbia Oil and Gas Commission. Okay. Uh, and, and they have the data available that way. And then Saskatchewan and Manitoba? Yeah, they're not currently participants in yeah. uh, FRAC Focus, um, so it would really be up to the regulator to decide that they want to implement a requirement like mm -hmm. this. Certainly, if you're an operator in one of those jurisdictions, you could voluntarily decide that yeah. you want to report through this mechanism, but there's no requirement at the moment to do so. And having said that, they're just not doing as much work as Alberta and exactly. BC. Exactly. I mean, yeah. In terms of volumes, Alberta is far and away the, the largest uh, yeah. you know, place where this activity is happening. Uh, British Columbia is in second, and then you know you would think about probably Saskatchewan would be in third if we if we had a good look at it. Okay, so this is a <laughs> – so when I hear you say that um, it, you know the Alberta uh, regulatory puts it up sort of once a year, I go, oh, that's not – fast enough. Do you sort of agree with that? Or, I mean, yeah, I mean it, educate me a little sure. bit on terms of like, no, that's actually a reasonable amount of time or no, we have I have concerns about that or... Yeah, so I was just out on the FRAC Focus website uh, yesterday uh, in preparation for this. And so, for example, I think uh, at the time, the most recent well from Alberta was sometime in April. Okay. So you could go out to the FRAC Focus website and you could see a self-reported um, you know, details of a well that had been completed in April, uh, that won't show up in the spreadsheet of all the wells until, as I said, you know, February of 2020. Um, you know, I guess in a perfect world, probably that data would be available, uh, you know, on a slightly more frequent basis, yeah. but, but it is available, you know, uh, just maybe not in the form you want. Yeah. Um, so these are the kinds of things, you know, uh, part of what my work tries to do is just uh, bring, it, bring awareness and attention to some of these things. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's really up to, you know, people listening to this podcast and other citizens in different jurisdictions to think about, well, is that the kind of public policy that I like or right. might I want to agitate for something different? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that's one of the things that you try to make clear even in your paper is you're not assigning intent or a strategy with FRAC Focus in terms of they're doing this deliberately or nefariously or anything like that. You're just sort of pointing out this is the way things are. 
and this is the way things could be done differently, and then the public can well, therefore decide. Yeah, I mean, we, we do, of course, make some uh, some critical comments where we think there are inbounds to do or where yeah. we think some improvements can be made. Um, but, but the general strategy that's being used here is what academics talk about as a self-regulation. Right. And so this is very common in actually a lot of different industries where um, we, we don't want you to do anything you, you want, and at the same time, we don't necessarily want a head, heavy hand of government. And so there is some kind of self-regulatory role that many industries play. And so that's part of the conversation you know, uh, that we're engaged in here in terms of with the scholars we're talking to, right. thinking about how is this self-regulatory initiative similar or dissimilar to ones that are happening in chemicals or accounting or you know, different fields of activity. Okay. And so I guess my final question is sort of this blur between self-regulation and sort of official regulation that you're talking about. Do you think that that's acceptable? Is there a place still for things like frac focus? Should it be eliminated entirely and it should just be the regulatory bodies? Where do you sort of come out on that in terms of what you were looking at? Yeah, I think our main concern is that, uh, you know, and sort of the, the label that we gave to the paper was uh, a sort of oxymoronic title. We called it opaque transparency. Right. And the basic idea here is at one level, this is a, a great transparency mechanism. You can go get this data that you, you would not normally have uh, been able to get otherwise. But at the same time, the, the effects for the consumer is that I don't quite know what to do with it, and I don't quite know what it means, and that's the opacity piece. Right. And so I guess, uh, you know, to, to the extent we were able to uh, make some suggestions, you know, it's really a question of how do we build on uh, what Frac Focus is already doing and perhaps move to ways of communicating that data to uh, consumers that's more helpful. I'll give you a for instance. Uh, when, when I go to China, um, you know, there's an app that I can have on my phone that tells me red, yellow, or green as to what the air quality looks like for the day. Okay. Behind that simple code is all kinds of da complicated data that I might not necessarily understand as somebody who doesn't work in, in that area of science. Right. Something like that, we think, uh, could be a useful way of helping consumers think about the oil and gas activity that's happening in their area and right. what kinds of impacts it's uh, potentially right. having on them. So dumb it down for people like me. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, and, and yeah. me yeah. even, yeah. Right? Yeah. because, I mean, I actually, I have to go talk to my colleagues at other parts of the university to understand what do all these data right. mean, because okay. I'm not a water toxicologist, right. I, you know, yeah. least, this is not my area of expertise. So even though I study how this is being managed and the regulatory aspects yeah. uh, to really understand what are the sort of human uh, health and environmental issues, that's, that's not my uh, specialty. So, yeah. yeah, perfect. Um, anything else before we wrap up here that you wanted to talk about or mention about your paper? I don't think anything about the paper. I guess I would just, uh, you know, encourage people who are interested to maybe, you know, uh, educate themselves a little bit about what's going on in their area and, and uh, use these kinds of tools to figure out uh, whether they, they like the kinds of policies that, that uh, exist or whether they want to see something different. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, thanks, uh, Joel. So uh, Joel's very active on social media. So.